the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to return to Europe with the latest DICE Barcelona conference, hosted at the beautiful W Barcelona Resort. This three-day event offers a relaxing resort atmosphere in which attendees will be treated to insightful speaker programming, roundtable discussions, and networking opportunities. Mark your calendars now to make sure you attend this premier networking event taking place September 4th through 6th. For more details, go to DiceEurope.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Trent Custis from League of Geeks, and you are listening to The Game Maker's Notebook. I sat down today with a couple of folks from Polyarch. They're the creators of Moss Book 1 and Moss Book 2, which is available on PSVR and has just come out on the Quest 2 as well. It's a wonderfully unique game, and Josh Stixma, design director, and Chris Alderson, co-founder and art director, we spoke about a bunch of different things. Some highlights include how Moss Book 1, the original game, how that original E3 demo helped Polyarch hone in on and shape and define the VR experience that we all know and love today. And then also we spoke about Josh and Chris and how their art and design teams help define and build and nurture that relationship that the player has with the game's protagonist, Quill. And then the difference in balancing player agency for Moss's VR dioramas versus your typical puzzle platformer. And then we wrapped up the episode talking about some production, some business stuff, their success scaling, and what it's like running a, a studio working in VR in 2022. It's a wonderful episode. I had a great chat with these two. Um, Moss is a lovely game. I really implore you to have a listen. Enjoy. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Game Maker's Notebook. I'm Trent Custis. We have a couple of very special guests with us here today. We have Josh Stixma, who's Design Director on Moss 2 over at Polyarch. And we also have Chris Alderson, co-founder and art director over there. How are you guys? Doing well. Oh, wow. you yeah. What, okay, what time is it over there? Um, it's fresh and early. It's like <laughs> 8, 10 a.m. in the morning. Oh. So, yeah. The West Coast is an easy one to sync up with. It's my, my mm-hmm. favorite meetings with folks at the West Coast. And it's been, when the meetings are podcasts, it's even better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, I've thanks been playing. Yeah, I've played Moss 1. I've been playing Moss 2. It's an exciting time. Uh, why don't we dive into it by giving everyone a little bit of an idea of how Polyarch sort of got to this point of Moss 2. So usually we do, how'd you get into games? But there's two of you here today. So why don't we, you know, Chris, give us the rundown on how Polyarch found their way doing book two of of Moss. Yeah, so um, I'll kind of give the Cliff's notes of our history. Um, We, yeah, we set off um, about seven years ago um, a lot of us came from the studio Bungie, um, and we we all sort of fell in love with VR around the same time. Valve was across the street, and a lot of us were able to go there and do a bunch of their demos on the Vive. 
And so we just kind of fell in love with the medium and we knew that there was something here. There was this fresh new take on um, games, the, the, the thing we've all been doing for, for um, some of us um, <laughs> nearly a couple of decades. Um, and it was a way to sort of like, you know, reinvigorate ourselves in, in electronic medium. And we, you know, we, we learned a few things from, from early demos, like a, a thing, areas we wanted to explore and areas that we wanted to stay away from. And some of the, you know, a lot of, a lot of studios were doing big and bombastic and like um, action titles and roller coaster rides and everything. And then a small subset of those studios were doing these very small and like tight knit, um, small world um, demos where, where you could like look over these little communities of characters. And, and we figured that, you know, we're, maybe we're not the studio yet to tackle, um, you know, some of the people were getting motion sickness and, yeah. you know, people, there was a lot of just like a, a lot of trends that we could already see really early on. And, and, you know, a lot of us had been making shooters and action games and, and, you know, zombie horror games and all, all sorts of um, <laughs> action um, titles. And, and it was, it was, I think time for a lot of us to do something that was maybe a little bit more soft and, and kind. And um, in a lot of ways that, that laid the groundwork for where, where we went and what we became. Um, this, yeah, this whole, this whole new medium, you know, this brand new, it's, um, it's amazing, isn't it? I remember that moment. I remember that time that you were talking about. I, I remember getting the, the, the special demo at Valve when they were doing the, the, the secret VR stuff and they had that room and there were like cables coming down from the top. It looked like something out of a Cronenberg film. Yeah. And it was, it was really special. There was the, you know, the, like the demo. I think the first thing that I did was the blue, that whale demo. And, and yeah. you, you have this moment. Oh, like, a cool one. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, this is super, super special. So Josh, now, obviously we've, I've, I've mentioned Moss book one and book two, you know, we're here because the release of Moss book two is coming up on the quest. Might mm-hmm. already be out by the time this podcast airs. Uh, so, but why don't we give everyone just sort of like a highline uh, read of what Moss uh, book two is, Josh, explain for our users. Yeah, I mean, game users, look at the game, game developer. I mean, it's hard to jump right into Moss Two without describing Moss Book One. Just a little Moss bit. Book One as well, yeah. Um, so, what kind of game is it? Well, I mean, we kind of talk about it as a bit of like a self co-op action puzzle platformer. <laughs> like, yeah. if you imagine like playing a, a Zelda game, but you're also an active giant character in it that can move things around and help Link get through the world. Yeah. Imagine that you've got this little hero mouse character that stumbles upon you in the forest, a, a power that represents you, and that unlocks the ability for you to actually enter her world. So we're talking about this cool fairy tale, magical adventure that you, through virtual reality's presence, like you're in the headset, you're actually in the world looking around saying, look at these trees, this looks awesome. But mm-hmm. then you see this little mouse who's looking right at you mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I see you too. Uh, and immediately trying to immerse people in this this magical fairy tale journey that ends up being a little bit of this like hero's journey. Yeah. Quill needs to go on this big heroic adventure. Sorry for the spoilers to save her uncle mm-hmm. who has been trapped in this castle uh, far away in the world of Moss. And she needs you to help her. Uh, and you kind of go back and forth. I'm going to move this thing. Now Quill can do 
something else in the, the level to solve the puzzle that's going to enable me to move something else that lets her get to the exit. And that we, that's kind of why we call it a bit of a self-co-op because you're controlling both characters yeah. on the analog stick. You're controlling Quill with the buttons. You allow her to jump around and attack, but you can also you can also reach in and grab things and move them. And it feels weighty and it feels physical and you've got that presence in the world. And Moss Book 2, uh, we wanted to continue the story. We actually left off on a little bit of a, hey, but wait, there's more. <laughs> After you kind of defeat the main um, boss of the of the story at the end of Moss Book 1, we reveal that the arcane, which is kind of the bigger enemy that's represented in the world of Moss, does not end with Sarfog, who was our villain from the first game. Yeah. And you've saved your uncle. He's there. He says, but wait, there's more. And then kind of like we glow this door to signify there's more. And then first thing in the next game, it's like, well, let's go through that door and and let's understand what does he mean by there's more in this. This really for Moss Book 2, the stakes are actually higher than Quill could have ever imagined. She was just in it to save her uncle. Yeah. But now it's kind of, well, now we kind of got to save the whole world. There's more to it than that. And we bring along, you know, treating Moss Book 1 as foundational for the game because our the reception and feedback for the game has been just has blown us away. It's been phenomenal in terms of how people have connected with Quill's character, connected with the world. Um, we wanted to not ruin that completely. So we <laughs> yeah. said, well, let's, let's keep that and, uh, and try to improve upon that for the yeah. second game. So yeah. trying to ensure that there's additional gameplay, new ways to interact with the world, new weapons that Quill can have, and, and you can charge up with her to solve puzzles and fight combats and just a whole slew of brand new environments that are just amazing and beautiful to be in. And then a really captivating story that brings you on a pretty emotional journey yeah. uh, I'd say as you're going through the game and just with the presence of VR and you being in there, a lot of that stuff ends up being even more powerful. For our listeners on, um, um, for just our audio listeners, we've had Josh's cat just do a big stretch in front of the camera. <laughs> a big floppy ragdoll. He said he wanted to be in in this, and I guess that was his way. Um, but um, yeah, that, so that's kind of where we're at with Moss Book Two. It's a continuation. The stakes are higher. There's more gameplay, more features, and just more time to bond with Quill as yeah. a character in the world. Because that was a big thing that a lot of players told us was something they wanted more of. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I um I played through Moss Book one again before i got into moss book two and i'm about just about more than a halfway through moss book two so we for my benefit this will be a spoiler free podcast as well <laughs> <laughs> um but one of the things that i immediately noticed was this like this this increase in fidelity like the amount the amount that's on screen i'm playing on the quest two the amount that's mm-hmm. on screen but also in fidelity in regards to the interaction with quill because when you say that you know, this game has resonated with people. It has. Like, it's it's come to be known as one of the most premier. Moss Book 1, I'm saying, and I'm sure Moss Book 2 is going to be there as well. Um, but it's become one of the premier VR experiences, one of those games that you must get if you've got VR because it is so unique in its level of polish and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tight experience. And, you know, even the what you're talking about in regards to this, this self co-op, as you've mentioned, but the thing that really clearly resonates with people is this relationship with Moss. So, oh, sorry, with Quill. So, how mm-hmm. how early on in the process did that come about? I know, I know that what you're, I know that moment you're talking about where you go, 
I want to do VR. You know, so many people had this moment in the job simulator guys got that going and, you know, people heading their space pirate trainer and people heading different directions. When did that first kernel of an idea come together for this, this self co-op, this, you know, working with Quill and that, that, that partnership that you have there with an on-screen character that you, we've rarely had before in video games and probably never in this way. Well, we knew we knew that you know you, you mentioned that demo of the blue where the the whale yeah. swims up to you and looks at you in the eye and it's such a simple premise and simple design but how powerful that is um, is undeniable and so you know we take we take that we take the physical interaction that we we knew was really novel um, and and we also knew that we were putting a massive at the time a massive piece of hardware on someone's face <laughs> and blindfolding them and expecting them to navigate a, a a brand new looking controller device that they've never used before. And so our games needed to be really simple. And I would say that's sort of like, okay, that that's what Moss is. I would say, um, you know, we, we knew that characters interacting with you was very novel and very unique to VR. What we did not expect was how impactful Quill would be to a lot of people. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we had friends and family come in and play test the E3 demo we created before we we introduced introduced Moss and Quill to the world, and they were all like, "Yeah, this is an amazing experience. You have something very special here." But they all kind of knew what we were making. They had yeah, seen right. Quill in some fashion, but you know, we took we took Moss to E3, and the way people there was this raw emotion and connection with this character. And, and these are all reviewers and media that have been yeah. in the industry. Like play, they've played everything, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it felt like we were, we were providing something that was unique. Um, but also something that, that, you know, like if you've ever had a, a pet or something and like the raw emotions that, that happen when that, that being looks at you and is like, I need your help. I need fed. And you know, I need you, I want you to support yeah. me and protect me. Um, those, all those feelings, um, came out with a lot of people there and, and there was a handful of people that teared up and, and, and then we brought that back and we were like, Whoa, we, <laughs> we, knew, we knew Quill was cool, but we didn't know, you know, like what, how impactful that could be. And it did, it did change, it changed the story. It changed how we, mm -hmm. our interactions with Quill, um, you know, we, we introduced more what, like sign language, just like different ways for Quill to interact with you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that was sort of the first game it was like that journey that Josh was, was explaining, yeah. but the second game was more about, okay, how do we, how do we play on that? How can we evolve that relationship? How can we test your relationship in some yeah. ways? Um, yeah. and it's, and, Josh, how did you yeah. do that, Josh? Like in the second game, what's that? What's that leap? We've got Moss Book One, you know, where you have this, you, know, you have this big revelation through game development at E3, and then this reaction mm -hmm. in the fans, and and after that doubling down once you've taken that news back into the studio. But then you've got Book Two, and you know, as we all know, with our first sequel, you've got the chance to like really go back to the drawing board on whatever you want to. And so, where did you start with making that relationship and strengthening it between the reader and Quill? Yeah, I mean. There's a lot of thought that goes into that. I think one of the first things, though, I, I should mention, Chris, Chris was talking about our E3 demo, how we got all this amazing feedback for it. The result of coming back to the studio after that was like, oh, they really like all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> 
we need to make sure the rest of the game does that. And we actually had to like pull out a whole ton of stuff that we had done Amazing. based on these learnings. Um, so because we actually kind of... Or to give yourselves more space for development to focus it, it on was, things. It was like one of those moments where you're kind of like face palm. You're like, oh, that's oh. so much better. <laughs> it's going to be so expensive. Yeah. For us to do this this change and shift, but like all of the learning that we had yeah. from that demo and the response to it, just it told us that that was going to be absolutely worth it. So yeah. in a way, a lot of that learning and, incorpor and incorporating that came in mm. on Moss Book One after we did that demo, which I think was one of the most valuable things as a studio yeah. we could have done for this game just because of the sheer amount of feedback, but then also just confidence that we could have that we were going in the right direction. And that confidence after Moss Book One was out really helped firm up us feeling like we could clearly go more in that direction and kind of build upon that. So yeah. for without trying to spoil too much of the game, that, that goes into what are new types of interactions that I can have with Quill? What are new ways that through the story, the challenges that you're facing in the game that you can add layers of complexity to your relationship with yeah. her that you might even be thinking of uh, not room to room i'm solving a puzzle together but yeah. beyond that like what is she thinking right now how 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 is this going to affect us later and and how is this inter in interact with her relationship with maybe another character yeah. that i saw in the game we, we want to be asking ourselves these questions if we can have these characters seem more real if yeah. we can have these relationships that you have with these virtual characters feel like actual relationships we can increase the overall bond that you're forming with these characters because they feel real. And to you, I, to, to somebody playing through, uh, I was just, I just went on this crazy thing with Quill and we're in a room and she just squeaked and looked at me and I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it could be a loaded squeak. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but you know, a lot of it are the writing team did such a phenomenal job with the story for Moss book too. Right. And they handed us something that was, really going to build on this character even aside from those um more custom moments that we'd yeah. be putting in but moss book two we thought of new new uh essentially we call them kind of like character rules for like yeah. if this is happening here's what quill might do in this moment yeah. and, and trying to keep that feel reactive and try to put a fresh layer on top of those and ensure that those are adding new things we wanted to ensure that uh, one of our systems that was really successful in the first game and brought some life into Quill was how you'd be having trouble with a puzzle and then she'd squeak and be like, I'm going to point over here and then try and <laughs> pantomime something. That's the basis of Quill in my relationship. Yeah. <laughs> about that interaction. That's how most common interaction definitely. is me like, like oh, I'll solve another room. one. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Trent, do you need a hand here? Yes, please, Quill, I do. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there's new puzzle scenarios that you're in, and we want to add a little bit more complexity to yeah. those as you're playing through the game. And, you know, it's kind of the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. um, also, just providing more opportunities. We, It's pure gameplay when you reach in and, like, charge Quill's weapon so she can yeah. do something new. But it's another reason to reach in mm -hmm. and, and have your hand near her. Maybe you're like, cool, I charged your weapon, but now I'm just going to pet you again just because that's still fun. I, like, players still really just love doing that as they're playing through the game because yeah. it's a nice way of physically interacting with her throughout yeah. the game. And we want to try and improve upon things like that. 
I no. find myself doing things like, you know, when my cat walks past or whatever, you know, I'm chilling there, I'll just like put my hand out and, and pat mm-hmm. him as he walks past. And when I'm running and I'm the one running cool past, but every now and then I'll just like catch myself reaching out to like give her a little boop on the head or something like that as she's passing by. It really mm-hmm. is amazing how natural the relationship feels after a while. Like you really, you really do settle in mm-hmm. with each other. Is that something you noticed early on in playtesting? Yeah, we, we made a lot of, um, I can speak to the visuals. We made a lot of conscious choices to like make you, um, want to feel something emotional yeah. with her, with her. Um, and a lot of it was trial and error. You know, we, we made a version where Quill was very heroic, um, and kind of had more humanoid proportions and, you know, um, Tam Armstrong, who's the CEO and one of the founders, he, he took the headset off and was like, I feel nothing. <laughs> and so that's, that was a good, <laughs> good starting point. We had, we had only, only up to go from there. Um, and so, yeah, we were like, okay, what, why do you feel that? What can we do to, to make you feel something, you know? And, and, uh, you know, we, we scrapped that first version, went straight to like, okay, let's make her a real, just mouse. Let's make her a mouse mm-hmm. start from there because, you know, people have mice's pets and, you know, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you might think, you know, rats are dirty or whatever, but like people generally like mice. There's a lot of mice in culture. Rats are cool, are, man. Like are, we have yeah, friends yeah. that had rats as pets. They're amazing. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah, so we started there and instantly we started getting re- positive reactions. And so, yeah. um, yeah. Um, That's something that I um, actually want to drill into a little bit because you may or may no, not know, but I created a video game. Well, not me, but our team I, created a video game you know. with animals, right? I'm sure you uh-huh. know. I know that you know. But the anthro thing is 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 so interesting, right? Like on across so many levels. So fables featuring animals have been around for hundreds, thousands of years uh, mm-hmm. in, in culture, but it seems still like so hard to there's a big chasm between well-executed anthro media and stuff that kind of just misses the mark or something's a bit off. And one of the things that I feel Polyarch has done so well with Moss Book 1 and Book 2 is, is the artwork and just even the character design. You know, for example, because, you know, with anthro artwork, you kind of got on one side, you've got full-blown Disney, and then on the other side, you've got sexy wolves with six-packs, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, yeah. and, but one of the, and I think one of the tendencies that we always, always speak about um, is that there is definitely an area of anthropomorphic art that skews very human body but just with animal head. But it seems mm-hmm. like Moss has a full mouse skeleton. Chris, how did you mm-hmm. find... How did you find that space in such a broad range where you could land with, you know, sort of your anthropomorphic art styles? How did you end up landing on your character design for Moss and the rest of the world and dealing with scale and all those questions that come up with, you know, can pigs wear pants? Can a lion ride a horse? You know, like all mm-hmm. these questions that happen when you're the, the biggest argument I've ever had with um, <laughs> Ty Carey, our, my, my co-founder and our creative director was whether a lion can ride a horse. It's literally, we can't, yeah. we can't talk about that topic <laughs> still to this day. So yeah, um, how, how did it all come yeah. about? How did you how did you you know sort of break that break those eggs and get into that? Yeah, I, I mean, really, it has to do with scale and it has to do with um, physicality um, and, and weight. Um, you know, the the more we pushed away from something that you could believe is actually there, the more we went more cartoony with the proportions, the less it seemed like it existed in a physical world. Yes. So, 
That's such a great point. Really the context of looking in as the reader, mm-hmm. right? It makes it very different. Yeah. It's a lot of questions for you immediately. Mm. Yeah, and, and the scale of the character really defined what the character should be. Um, you mm. know, that her scale um, is the size of like a small field mouse. Um, it took me a while to, it's, it's a funny thing to say, but actually it took me a while to realize that. I reckon I was in, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I was in Moss Book 2 before I was like, oh, this world is fully to scale. Like, yeah. this is the size of a mouse. That's the size of a bird. Like, that's the mm-hmm. size of a big-ass snake, you know? Um, and, and it just felt so natural. But I, I think it just, it lends so much, so much, um, what's the word, authenticity to that to that mm-hmm. diorama and that feeling that you are genuinely looking at this mouse and, you know, helping it out, that it's a, a real thing. Yeah, every, everything we could do to make you feel like you were there we did any anything that pulled you out of the experience we we tried to figure out what that was and we tried to remove it um as quickly as possible um but yeah as far as like why they (laughs) ride squirrels uh yeah like so we have we have birds we have toads and we have squirrels and and i think it you know we don't have the perfect answer for that i like to think that um mice existed um in our homes and so maybe they were closer to human culture and so they adopted it quicker than like squirrels or birds or um and so whatever it takes to sort of like (laughs) (laughs) you have to be like with the hand throw stuff you've got to be a bit hand wavy at some point i remember from we we did a update that was like a board skins pack and so you know changed the board um, with some new art some skins and it was seasons was you know the thing and so we released an autumn board and we released a spring board and um and the autumn board like you know obviously the the trees were brown the leaves were brown and someone (laughs) left us a negative review saying that pine trees are evergreen they're not deciduous and (laughs) And I just, I remember responding to the negative review being like, but yeah, like you're playing a game about talking rats. (laughs) It's it's really interesting what, where, what people latch on to and what they don't and what it takes. And this is why the scale thing is, is such a, such a great point that you raise because even in a fantasy game, you like, there are some things that will help ground it so well. And then other things that you can be kind of hand wavy about. And it's a really Mm -hmm. interesting path of the creator figuring that out. Josh, I got a question for you in regards to the evolution of design from Moss Book One to Moss Book Two. Moss Book One, it, it's so it's so tidy and neat a package. It's it's so restrained. It doesn't try to be anything more than it absolutely needs to be to sort of be like, hey, because it was really quite early on in the VR cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, this this decade that VR came back around, right? But like very early yeah. on in the VR cycle. And it came out and was just like, hey, we're doing this thing and we're doing this very well. We're not doing mm-hmm. all the things. So then when you get to Moss Book 2, did you, were there things that fell off the wagon that you were like, oh, that, you know, the classic one, oh, we'll do that in game two or whatever, that you had locked and loaded, <laughs> ready to go? Was how much of it was a response to things that maybe the press, public, your peers felt weren't working? Or if there were any of those things in Moss Book 1, how did you, how did you, approach that step forward in the evolution of the design yeah the well one of i think all of those are accurate descriptions of things <laughs> that we did for the second nice. game yeah. uh, we, we were very careful to, to like take a look at all of the critical feedback that we mm. had on the first game and i think we we're really fortunate because one of the 
biggest sources of contention that we had for the first game was just that there wasn't enough of it. I think oh, across wow. the board, wow. which was like our that was our goal. We were like, hey, we nailed the like because we were like short and sweet. This is what we can do as a studio. We're going to make one really polished, high quality game yeah. that isn't going to take you know people weeks to play through. Um, but I think a lot of people, the the strength of that is a lot of people really resonated with the world. They wanted more time in it, and that was something that was continually like put in every single review that we saw. It was just like, I just wanted the game to be longer. So yeah. that was one thing when we were doing the initial design of the game that we said, okay, we we can try find ways to do better. Um, and I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, the other method of, hey, here's some strengths, things that we thought were working really well. We continued to experiment a little bit after the initial release of Moss Book 1 when we put out our Twilight Garden expansion, mm-hmm. which was kind of a, a little bit of a test bed. We, we really wanted to put this out. We thought this was really cool additional content for the game, but we were also trying a few new things. That was our first foray into like, hey, it's kind of non-linear because mm-hmm. um, you can at any point access this separate part of the game and then progress through this and get your cool rewards, your sword and your armor. Yeah. as you go through but also that was our first foray into we're going to give you new stuff and like a new interaction that was our first time doing any kind of like charged up weapon in the game and the response to that was hugely positive in terms of people thinking like they were doing cool stuff in puzzles yeah. they were doing cool stuff in combat mm-hmm. and they just really enjoyed that kind of experience of quill looks different she's got a different thing and i, I love that i was able to help her get that and now we're going to go through the game with that cool new stuff so that was another kind of way of like, hey, we, we actually kind of tested the waters a little bit uh, as we were putting out that additional content. And that helps feed into how we approach Moss Book 2 as well. And those are kind of two things that, on the, at least on the design side, that we wanted to see like, hey, well, what is the new version of that going to look like for Moss Book 2? I think the answer on the weapons side was a little bit more simple with with less complexity there because the answer is yeah let's make more of these because people, <laughs> people love this stuff so Games let's make more of weapons? it wow yeah okay. and <laughs> then the complexity comes into okay we need to stay true to our original intent and design principles of the if we are going to add something new to the game it needs to still satisfy those same things that were satisfying players in the first game if i get a new weapon it's got to be just fun at a base level to hit the button and smash things right because whether you're smashing enemies or you're smashing boxes to get dust you're going to be using that weapon a lot so at that base level we want that to feel good at the the level of hey this is like a charged weapon you're going to be reaching in for to charge quill up or like for moss book 2 there's just different ways to charge them is there cool texture there is there differences between that and then what is the outcome does that outcome feel really good for a puzzle does the outcome feel really good for a combat does the outcome feel really good for platforming which we we kind of tried to vary the weapons to be kind of better in or at different select avenues of each different area like yeah. for the example the the sword when you charge up that one is very much on the traversal side of things although it is wicked awesome in combat too especially if you line up any enemies <laughs> yeah. uh, that, the sword specifically you charge it up for people out know and will just zips in a line and that allows her to cross really cool gaps for platforming and puzzle solving but it also allows her to completely obliterate any enemies in between so we wanted to make sure if we are going to add something it feels tight it feels really good to play mm-hmm. and that players are going to appreciate adding that to quill's essentially tool belt 
of things to solve puzzles or solve combats. So yeah. that was kind of our approach for those. And in terms of the world, that one took longer. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned Moss Book One is this tight experience. It's very linear. We're following the like, you go through this chapter. Now you're on this chapter, no going back, just forward. And you're going to go through this, this set story. Yeah. And Moss Book Two, we, we challenged ourselves and said, are there ways where we can have this world feel larger and more connected? And it's not that I'm going through each area once and never going back, but each area is relevant at some point in the story. And I'm going to thread myself around this larger journey, returning to the castle, honestly, multiple times yeah. as, it, as it acts as a sort of a central hub for your journey. And every time you come back, there's a little something new because now I have a new ability. Now I have this new thing. I can unlock this new area. So you get a little bit of that. I'm not going to say open world feel, but you, it definitely does feel more open than the first game. And that was a, a way of addressing two things. One, we we're really just hyped about wanting to allow people to explore the world more. Mm -hmm. uh, like as developers, we like it's just such an awesome world. And we've created this castle, which sort of functions as, as an avenue for Quill and you to branch out to different parts of the world of Moss, which is just so cool. Um, and that's our way of doing that. But we also found that that was a good way of saying like, hey, if if we we build our world in such a way, we can have players be in there and have always meaningful content that doesn't feel like the, the worst thing that we could do is just be like, sure, you just go through the same stuff and it's just reuse. But it was a way for us specifically targeting this is a world that has complexities that change as you're going through it. And that's going to be meaningful for players. And in addition, it allows us to have a little bit more length on the story mm -hmm. while still being a really small team um, that's putting this game together. Because we're still like a little little bit larger than the first book. Our, the team yeah, at like 35 or 40 or something? The, now, or? The studio now, like whole studio, yeah. I think we're at 35, Chris. Yeah. Is that yeah, accurate? Maybe it's amazing. And, now yeah and, and and moss book two uh moss book for context for everybody moss book one we were 15 people at the studio mm -hmm. shipping wow. that game that's and a fun we're, size as well 15 yeah, yeah. oh super yeah. <laughs> and and for moss book two it's like we're at like 20 so yeah. like some some growth but you know we're still like the small scrappy team so we're trying to understand when people say, I want more of the game, how can we deliver that in a good way? Mm -hmm, how can yeah. we increase the length of this game given what we can do? It also, one other thing that did help is we had, um, you know, additional animation support in the game too. Because if, yeah. if you're going to make the game longer, this big story-driven adventure, we're going to want to give the player more like cool moments and yeah. cinematic scenes going through. So that also allowed us working with the story team with to kind of, bring those two goals together of mm -hmm. how do we make it compelling and yeah. feel really like really grip the player their whole way through. And it's not just like I'm going through levels because that's yeah. that's totally not what we want to do by trying to add this kind of content to the game. So I'm, I'm really interested to come back to the story. So I put a little note and come back to the story because I'm, I'm very interested to hear about the process and what it means having the reader involved and Quinn being like nonverbal in a lot of the scenes and everything like that. But 
Chris, something that I noticed immediately with Moss too is, is what Josh is talking about, is that I'm spending more time traversing back through environments. The, the, the design of the world is different in regards to this sort of like hub and spoke design with the castle in, in the center. And also those Metroidvania elements. I'm seeing things. I think one of the first rooms where I was like, why can't I do this thing? I was like, oh, okay, I got to come in this game. I'm coming back here again. So, and I really, I really felt for the team at Polyarch because playing the first back back ages ago when I first was playing uh, Moss Book One, I was like, I'm spending so little time in these beautiful environments. I'm I'm moving straight <laughs> through them. So, what did that mean for you and your art crew on Moss Book Two in regards to you know? Did it just mean like, oh, okay, people see more of our awesome stuff, or how did it change the way that you approach the the worlds in you know or the rooms or whatever you may call them in in Moss Book Two and how how you piece the whole thing together? It's just absolutely stunning. I think moving around the greenhouse, I would just like spent half the time looking around, mm-hmm. made a note to stop in every single diorama and have a look around the room. Yeah, the the approach um, in a lot of ways was similar um, because I'd say the 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 overall design of the game you do pass through some of the same areas, but you do branch off and you have these little, like, I would say almost like mini adventures. And so the conservatory that you're talking about is its own little adventure and journey. And you are able to traverse back through it. Um, But each of these spaces really serves like some very strong purposes. Like Quill is there for a very specific reason. Uh, I'd say one of the, one of the big challenges was how do we get you out of the castle? Um, The, like coming up with where do you actually go? Like what are fun, <laughs> exciting um, locales yeah. that, that we want you to go through? Because the when you're um, already in a castle, right? As well, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> what's the carrot when you're in a, inside a castle already? Right, right. The, the the adventure Moss Book One and Two were meant to be one story. Like getting to the castle was like going to be a big part of the adventure, and then when you're there, you have this sort of like this end game and that's where you meet the owl and the owl is always going to be the main antagonist. Um, mm. We, we found ourselves in a position where we only could make one half of the game with our team size that Josh was talking about early on. Um, but now that you're in the castle, how do we, how do we get you out? Because on the first one, although it was really linear, it made sense to the story, but you were still passing through all these different types of, you go to this yeah. beach in the morning, you know, and you, you also go through the swampy area and you get to go through a lot of different locations. And then in Moss 2, we're like, okay, we can't just have you in these, like, you know, they were larger than life cathedral style interiors, but we really wanted you to go elsewhere. And so we're like, okay, how creative can we get with that? Um, and yeah, you go under the castle, you find some dungeon, fiery lava pits down there. And then, you know, we, we, yeah, again, like you were saying, we you go to these gardens and we make them really lush. So you have a little bit of that, like classic Moss look that you're still, yeah. okay still get the green and the warm lighting and and then you the know woodland environments yeah yeah and it still wasn't yeah. enough and so we came up with the idea of okay we have we have portal enough. yeah 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 we're like we need <laughs> need even more and so so we yeah you you end up like going through these different these doorways that that act as portals to these different realms and you get to go to these mat like snowy mountaintops of tibet and um mm. yeah I'd, I'd say the room to room you know are our, the way we constructed them was very similar. I think we did develop, Josh, you can tell me if we're wrong, a, a, an agreement to like, okay, how do we keep players in these rooms a little bit longer? And yeah. so while 
you know, while building the rooms was very similar, we did try creative ways of like, okay, how, how can we let a player experience these places for a little bit longer and, and even, even slow them down sometimes to like, okay, yeah. this is a moment where they can take in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think you totally caught on to something as a content creator. You're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> How expensive was yeah, the sequence? <laughs> yeah, my, the producer side of my brain is like, especially yeah, let's get people to spend more time in this perhaps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in VR because you can look behind everything and, you know, and we yeah. want it to be believable. Yeah. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into these spaces. And um, Well, that drives actually another question that I mm-hmm. had for you, which is an interesting one because it's not just in VR, right? You you almost have your own sort of like a little space that you've carved out too, which is this, this, this notion of this diorama with this mouse and the self-co-op thing. What do you find yourself as sort of like the top line principles that maybe people listening, game artists listening to this podcast um, – you know, may find interesting that sort of that where VR and your approach to VR, what you're doing with Moss Book 1 and 2 changes for, um, you know, as opposed to your time, say, a Bungie or something like that. What do you find yourself saying to the new game artists that join the team? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Remember, this is like VR, you got to blah, blah, blah. Or this in in Moss, you got to et cetera, et cetera. Do you have those moments? Are there things that are like quite different in your approach or that you got to remind yourself of or... Or is it just like make the make the game art, but just like yeah. here, <laughs> that scale with the mouse? I think you know one of the one of the critiques that we got from the first game that that Josh pointed out was they just wanted more. It needed to be longer and, and bigger, and mm-hmm. they just wanted more moss. And we're finding it. We're this. We are a studio that that definitely favors quality over quantity. And yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's always this struggle. For us to be like, okay, we we want to make a big chunk of game, but we know we love working in small teams, and we know that like our quality bar um, internally, like we we're very hard on ourselves, and we we want to make yeah. the best experience possible. Um, and and I would say that's that's one thing we're constantly having to having to negotiate with each other is like, okay, maybe we don't need to polish as far. Um, but I think you know maybe I'll speak for Josh. I think I think. Um, one thing that, that I think has changed for all of us is like building affordance into objects that we want you to grab. We're, uh-huh. We give you this world and we want you to interact with all these things, but you know, sometimes the player doesn't want to do that, you know, and we're kind of forcing them, forcing their hand to like find something to interact with. And I would say yeah. we all become industrial designers in a way. Mm. Um, we're designing <laughs> and then and on, the, on the visual side, you know, it's no longer us. Um, behind a screen navigating a character you are in the world mm-hmm. now um yeah and so it's actually it's actually a really great segue into a question that i have here which is this this notion of when do you ask the the player to reach in and touch the world and when do you allow them to sit back and just you know fiddle around with their their thumbstick and play it like a platformer where their only real responsibility is to be the game camera which we all know is so incredibly important in platformers mm-hmm. right muscle platformers so josh how did you how did you find that line between agency 
and, you know, player agency. And then even moments where Quill is like, hey, she stops doing everything and she chimes mm-hmm. in or she does a particular thing or where I'm even interested in things. Like I remember I've had situations where I've like got four buttons pressed and I'm like holding an enemy <laughs> over here and shooting it at another one and running around with Quill and trying to remind myself not to move the thumbstick when I'm trying to drag an enemy and, you know, pushing Quill off a cliff. Mm-hmm. So that, that balance between player agency uh in regards to your experience in your diorama and a standard puzzle platformer, like what's your, what's your goals there? And how did you, how did you find that balance? Yeah, I think, I mean, thinking about that, how we approached it was there, there's kind of two levels of pacing that we had when we looked at the game. Cause you've, you've got your standard, you know, adventure, action adventure platformer pacing, which is, hey, we just want to make sure that the platforming feels paced out with the combat feels paced out with the puzzle solving. I I think we've all played games that do that, but we had to also on top of that. So we had to do that, but also from a a standpoint of what am I doing in VR? Mm -hmm. How attentive do I have to be at all times? Yeah. What, how often do I need to grab things? How often am I just kind of running through a room how often is a room just largely we created this so you can look around yeah and like have a just a great experience like taking this whole room in and then you walk in the next room is something so we would draw out big giant pacing maps throughout the game just to make sure like hey are we are we hitting things i mean we do this on the design side um you know we do similar pacing for like you know, art experience, story experience, all of that, just evaluating what is the player taking in? Are they getting too much of one thing? Are they not getting enough of another thing? Because that's what kind of creates this experience that feels well balanced to Mm. them. And then also in VR, if we're constantly pushing the player too far in one direction, they're not going to feel comfortable. We like one example I can think of is on, on the puzzle solving side. If you force a player to solve really hard puzzles with a, a VR headset, a heavy VR headset on for too long a period of time, their head's going to get sweaty because they're thinking really, really hard. <laughs> and especially if it, like, if it gets really tough, like they're also then kind of frustrated. And, and then also on top of that lack of comfort, they're like, you know what? I don't want to play this right now. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful about the complexity that we're putting into the game and how often that complexity does show up we have Mm. you know every tough puzzle in the game we kind of call like an apex puzzle which is like it's putting all of the pieces that we tried to teach you throughout this area into into one puzzle that kind of tests you and make sure that you can go through to the next area and we had to be really careful with those and sometimes just scale them back completely because players would have trouble with it or one of my preferred ways of dealing with this rather than scaling back the puzzle is just like amp up how much quill's helping Right. Um, so, okay. so that we can just feed in from a different angle like hey we made you move a lot but now the character is here's a time for her to be a little bit autonomous and help you out um the and pacing so what is are some examples of that just to hone in on that for a little bit like when when you say oh, okay instead of dialing this back let's have quill help out a little bit what's in your toolbox there in regards to like mm-hmm. what, can, what can you actually effectively and practically do you found without a, the player feeling like um quill is encroaching on their agency yeah, so we have a few tools when we're trying to solve these puzzles. A lot sometimes it's just simply um, spotting an enemy will draw your attention to something that becomes important. Um, and while we're doing that, we can combine that with something that's adequately timed. We call it um, like our kind of our spirit lantern or, or our tutorial glow, where something just softly glows yep. in the background and pulls you in. That's kind of our soft 
like, hey, here's something that you should really be like starting to pay a little bit of attention to. And mm -hmm. we're very careful to be extremely consistent about that visual language. So if you do see that, that is something to grab or yep. something that you should then reach in and experiment with. Um, beyond above that is kind of where we're like, okay, now Quill is going to be pointing at something for you. And, and sometimes it's interchangeable depending on the puzzle or depending on the designer um, who's working on it. Cause there's a little yeah, bit of, yeah. even that designer agency as you're putting it together, yeah. but Quill pointing at things would be like, kind of like our, our next level of like, okay, she's going to give you a hint. The, the apex version of that is we're going to have to make something custom because we just made something way too complicated mm -hmm. and hopefully we don't have to do that. We actually had a completely <laughs> custom quill hint performance in our E3 demo for a Moss Book <laughs> 1 where it was like, this is very complicated. I'm going to do this and then you move this guy over here and do that. And we're trying our best not to do those just because yeah. the cost of doing that. But it was adorable. It was, <laughs> it was so cute yeah. um, and it was amazing. And the the final kind of thing that we only do just for like tutorials really would be like, okay, we're going to render a controller and really help you out. And we only do that kind of at the beginning of the game to, to ease the player in. If we have to do more than, than those other things, aside from the Nux, then we feel like, you know, it's okay to let the player try to figure it out a little bit. Cause we also don't want to go too far where everything feels really handholdy. The nice thing about Quill is it's really, it's kind of hard to go a, a little bit too far with that because there's this character communicating with you. And that's why it's one of our go-tos for helping players if they're having trouble because it's a real living character and they want yeah. to help you. And it is so much more effective and so much more easier to accept for players that they're not having their hand held through the game, but this character is just trying to communicate. And they might, not, <laughs> they might even point. miss. It's not the developer being like, come on, bro. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and you know, they might not even get what she's saying, but it, mm -hmm. it encourages them to try something in that area. It's like, oh, she went over there, she pointed and like, I don't, I don't know. Is she wrong? Is she giving me the right hint? You start having a conversation with her. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like the, the right thing to do. And, and, and that's just one of the things that we have to keep in mind as we're you know, pacing out the game. Where, where do we have these moments and how do we vary it up enough? So something can always feel fresh in the game and that's nothing's ever sitting around too long. And let's, um, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. This stuff. Let's dive into the design of a room, run us through how just one room gets designed from sort of like start driving or what's the, what's the process? Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> so you can give me the high level if you want. It's just, it's always yeah. fascinating to hear how different teams and different design, like you say, different designers have different design agency, just like different studios have different ways in which they approach these things. And it's mm -hmm. such a, it, one of the beautiful things about Moss, um, both book one and book two is how much it is really a sum of its parts. You can see it mm -hmm. doesn't feel, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's different internally, but it doesn't feel like art. The art team is is wrestling with the design team, or that you know, story feels very well integrated as well. I'm really mm -hmm. interested to hear how that how that process goes, you know, comes about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, it, in terms of how you go about it in the process, it's it's always debated. Will you try and figure out like what is the shape of the room going to be before you know what the mechanics are going to be? Because we're in game development, you know nothing that is going to be in the game before you have to start and start making meaningful progress <laughs> on this game. Oh, so you, it's, you so have... it's so good to hear that from another <laughs> studio. That's been, thank you so much. I needed that. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad to contribute. Um, so you you you've got to 
and and then on top of that you've kind of got story objectives like what is even what is the purpose of this room what is meant to happen here and you with if you say like that's kind of story design and art are trying to like approach it from different avenues that largely ends up being how most of our stuff kind of goes every time you start from one standpoint you need the others to lift you up and so that's kind of my way way of saying there's kind of three ways that we would approach Mm -hmm. every room as we're we're trying to figure out what why does this room need to be here what does quill need to do in this room what are interesting like virtual reality features or mechanics that could take place in here that we're excited about that we either a know that we already have prototyped in in various scenarios so we can feel confident that that feature is going to you know stay in Mm -hmm. for the final ship project or we have this really cool idea. We're going to try it out and see how it works in this room. And hopefully all of that works, uh, which I mean, that has happened really like we've had good success with all of that. So we, we try to keep an open mind to new creative ideas that are coming in as well as trying to approach from the different avenues, but trying to just distill it and keep it really simple in a lot of ways. It's kind of we say, OK, we have a general area that we, we want for the game. Uh, and we know that we want this area to kind of encompass some pacing of mechanical features that we have throughout. And along that pacing track of, you know, you, you can kind of follow like the Nintendo, like learn, test, twist kind of model. We will mm-hmm. we'll want to try and ensure that we have some path along that to the end encounter of or climax encounter of whatever this area we're creating is. And this room is the third room on that. So we try to make a plan around that bring into um, what mechanics or features will go into the room. And we plot that down and we follow kind of a lot of our core principles of we're creating a diorama. So we know that this space needs to be, we actually have really cool metrics we'll place uh, in Unreal. We place the camera down and we press like a checkbox on it and it just draws all of the bounds that are really comfortable for a player's (laughs) diorama experience that we really like for Moss. And that kind of is our little cheat sheet uh, on the design side and the art side for like, okay, something in here, we want it to be this high, this wide, this is going to be comfortable. This is what's going to feel good on, you know, a, a PlayStation DS4 front camera track controller before you get off sides and it loses tracking. This yeah. is what's going to feel good outside of that for anything else that is like either other cameras or other inside out tracking that's mm-hmm. going to help. So we really want, first want to decide, like, what is the size of this space? What, what are the bounds of it, before, even before I start putting in different platforms and features uh, in the game? And then the, the very first thing that we do after that, um, that we found is incredibly important, is the interactions that you're going to have in that space. Uh, you, at that point, need to place those in because those are so critical and so important to how everything is going to flow through the yeah. space. We have these design principles for our interactions that they are big uh they feel really weighty quill is going to move on through under over them in some way so those need to have big significance in terms of the pathing that you're going to be um, creating through the level so if you've got some big drum that you're going to spin you slap that right in the middle before you place anything and build that level around it and that's part of what can make those dioramas feel even more crafted because Mm. we essentially did have to craft it around these mechanics, uh, these in, these physical interactions that we feel really strongly need to fit the environment so they're believable, but also mm-hmm. so the environment makes sense yeah. as you're going through it. And so that in regards to the environment making sense and having a place in the world, 
Chris, where does the where does the art team come in at this point? You know, and obviously all throughout. But how how did what did the process look like for you? Sort of what what were the steps? How what phases do you go do you go to go through for a room? And you know, what do what are, what are the art team's principles? You know, to make sure that design's vision for a room sort of you know meets meets your own as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know very high level. We do meet with the story team and and, and make sure that we as an art team, have our own goals as far as, um, you know, the different types of locations we want to go to. And that's sort of kind of off to the side. So we remember that. And then <laughs> I'd say the, the process of, of making the, the all of the rooms in the game is highly collaborative. Um, while some of, the, some of the more complicated rooms that require a lot of playtesting will take a lot longer to even get to the stage where art is ready to even touch it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the puzzles um, that... I would say, you know, Josh's team, you guys probably spend the most time on those types of rooms. Yeah, hurting um, our brains. <laughs> yeah, they, they just they go through so much and it just wouldn't make sense for us to to hit those. And so those are usually at the, the very end. Um, yeah. But while that's happening, we can start laying out the, the, the start and end of every single like I would say those offshoot adventures um, or even yeah. in the beginning of the game, like. You know, we want to establish the environment. We want to make sure that, you know, players take their time. And and we're trusted to create a lot of those story environments while mm-hmm. a lot of that is happening. So so while a lot of the design work and, and figuring out of those, you know, core mechanics are happening, we're still building parts of the game. And I would say that sort yeah. of the the outer the outer rooms of the game mm-hmm. and sort of figuring out what, what are our palettes, what kind of, you know, major props do we need to develop, um, we start testing lighting. We start testing um, color palettes, making sure that every zone has a very distinct emotional journey. Um, yeah, we again we collaborate with the, the the story team. At which stage is Quill on this part of the event? Is she you know is she down in the dumps or is she in adventure mode? And that will yeah. directly affect the the how we create the assets and what kind of you know lighting and assets we want in those spaces. Um, and so, and that helps with pipelining production too. If, if we're continued to keep moving and making art and design mm-hmm. able to continue designing, and then eventually we start crossing each other's paths more and we have, if we have a puzzle room and if we have the, um, what do we call them? Um, that are strictly more like mood setting story. Um, Vistas. Vista rooms. Yep. And then we have, we have some rooms that are just for traversal where we shake it up a little bit for Quill, you know, like make sure it's not just a straight line from left to right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, make sure that's, that helps slow down um, the, the journey a little bit to make sure that, you know, players, you know, as far as pacing narration, players can look around a little bit more. And then we also have like combat spaces. Mm. And usually those, those middle rooms are the ones where we, I, I feel like we're, it can start with art or start with design, but we're working very closely with each other. Um, and mm-hmm. some, of those, some of those rooms are the more fun ones because we get to, we're not alone a lot of the time. It's like, okay, let's, let's, let's work together and learn from each other. Those yeah. are the best ones, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, that back and forth iteration that we get, just excited about an idea and then, you know, put, being like, okay, I, I put this thing in here. We have a device here. We've got this pressure plate here. What do you think? And then like do something really cool and it looks beautiful and amazing even though it's just like block art and you're like oh i know and then you, just, <laughs> you get these like ahas back and forth even as you're making it and you just build off the talent of each other mm. um, i think it just makes great great content 
does. Well, speak, speaking about about talent and the talent of others, mm-hmm. it's clear that there is a whole ton of talent at your studio on the narrative and story side of things. So, Josh, help myself and our listeners understand what's that process for the story team? What's the structure of your story team? Who's responsible for this? Um, and how how's it how's it come about and find its way into the game? Uh, this will boggle some people's minds a little bit. Um, <laughs> our structure. Um, so uh, we have our, at the, the current time, our HR director is also our lead writer. That's too is, much power. That's way too much power for one person. <laughs> she, is, she is fantastic and absolutely amazing in everything that she does. Um, our CEO, Tam, is was also a key part of our writing team. And then right. we, we outsourced. Uh, for some additional writing support mm-hmm. on the team. So uh, in terms of how how did they do it, uh, just, just starting with that shout out to who is making up our story team, um, a lot of it was just starting with drafts mm-hmm. of what the story is. They took a very, um, jump in if you know more about this specifically too, Chris. Mm-hmm. They, they took an approach of like, you know, it's like we're doing like a screenplay like a movie we want we often talk about moss being kind of like a stage play you're going between these dioramas and it's like the lights go out people shuffle in change everything and the lights come back on it's a different scene (laughs) it's like Um, such a great analogy yeah i I feel it yeah it's real we um they really wanted to take that approach and and to that point they're they've like they're even doing like professional screenwriting software that they're doing for like putting it all together making sure everything matches how it would um and they it was a lot of kind of testing some waters of like hey we've got some ideas because it's a very creative process so at at polyark at least even on the writing side it's like let's get people together let's pitch some ideas of what might happen or what might be feasible to happen in the game and see how people are reacting and see how people can build off that or even support that i remember being in various kind of brainstorming meetings uh what that was led by the writing team and they had ideas of what if the game ended this way? What if it ended that way? And just trying to once again be really collaborative and know that in the game making process, everybody on the team is trying to get a little something different out of it and wants to contribute with the, in any way that their skills currently can to try and help make other people's efforts better. So mm-hmm. we would have a lot of those early on and that helped lead them to different drafts of scripts. We went through multiple ones and then they're like here's our other draft let's send it out to the team see how everybody feels about that people would read it go through it offer critique offer notes and that was like the whole studio would get it and go pretty wide um so a a lot of it was um just kind of building up what is the script going to be and once we had an idea of the script i mean we had already been building up a lot of the rough ideas of the game and how it would Mm -hmm. work with that script so kind of like it's like a chicken and egg thing, but we're doing both at the same time, trying to figure out the right way to proceed. And um, they did an amazing job. And a lot of the times, too, it's balancing because like they're trying to balance the in-game story, but also knowing that we're going to be going to the library and that they're writing something that's more akin to like a traditional story, like flipping through pages and what is going to unravel next. So it kind of adds that additional challenge, knowing that the player is going to have to switch up and like change that context it's of course it's going to flow really well but it's like a different almost a different medium of storytelling within our game that yeah. they adapt to 
And um, yeah, I, I think they did a, a fantastic job. And I, I think it speaks a lot to that very collaborative process and mm. trying to ensure that everybody can have a little bit of a, a share in the direction that the story went. Well, it's very clear from Moss Book One. Like I, like I said, I played Moss Book One a while ago, but I did play through it again before jumping into Moss Book Two. Like literally finished it, closed it, and then booted up Moss Book Two. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that leap forward in design, in the fidelity of the world and the art that we've spoken about, it's also there in the narrative design and the effectiveness of your storytelling and the, and the, the maturity of it as well. It, it's really it's really quite something to see across all the elements, whether it's the book and the way that they're told or, you know, um, the way that the story is structured and delivered in, in Moss Book 2. It's, it's quite, quite an achievement for sure. It's, it's really impressive. So mm-hmm. for the last yeah. part of, oh, you're welcome. You're most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, um, for, the, for, you know, for the latter part of the podcast, I'd love to speak a little bit more about the production slash business side of the studio and the, and the business of making a VR game. Congratulations on your recent rounds and everything that you've raised. Mm-hmm. It's super exciting. The, the studio, we've spoken a lot about the games, but the studio has just been one that seems to have had this steady success with, you know, big, big spikes or steps up along the way watching from the outside. I know it probably feels very different from the inside. It always feels like you're in the eye of a storm when you're running a game studio. But let's talk first about VR. You've very much positioned yourself from very early on as this premier VR studio. Some would say before VR was even really like a proven commercial thing. Oh, you've obviously made a really good go of it. How does it feel now being in the industry, the VR one specifically, I'm talking about like that segment of the industry and seeing the the success of the Quest 2 and so many more people coming to it. So Chris, like, you know, how does it feel looking out for the future? Obviously very positive. I mean, you're continuing, but give us a bit of your take about being a VR studio at this current point in time and what that means as a, you know, commercially as a business. Oh, it, it's in, it's incredible to f- you know, because we we were believers, we have been believers from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, early early on, we we made a lot of choices that were like, okay, we just we need to be here. You know, we we can't we can't go all in. We can't we can't do everything right now. Let's just let's let's build a team, a really talented team that believes in this journey. And um, yeah, take our time, really, because we knew that the the market was going to take its time, and I mean, recent like we're starting to feel really confident with some of the numbers we're seeing of, of VR headsets, and a lot of them. I don't know how official a lot of them are, but but to hear, you know, some of the rumors about how well the Quest Two is selling, mm-hmm. um, just really makes yeah. us feel pretty good about about this. Game. <laughs> <laughs> about you selling know? some VR games, yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I love just thinking about like where we are now. And where the technology is, and where the excitement of everybody around the space is, and it's it's only going to get better. Like all the all the uh-huh. hardware is getting sleeker, and it's weighing less. It's tracking inside. I remember that the idea of inside out tracking was just this like we knew that that companies were messing with it, but and we were like, oh, we cannot wait for that to happen. And it came a lot quicker than I think we were yeah. expecting. Uh-huh. Just to think yeah. back, like, oh, wow, that used to be a dream of ours, <laughs> was that. Yeah, and now yeah. it's not here, and, and almost all the headsets are, are getting it. And, um, man, to think about what we've been here for seven years, 
VR headsets have been on, you know, really on the market for about five. And to think about what happens in three more years or five more years um, is just very exciting. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I know you were like, let's, let's, let's talk about VR, but, but I mean, it, it, it keeps going, right. A lot of this technology yeah. can go into other, other forms and, and we are excited for AR. Um, we're really excited for anything that, that, that really means truly interactive entertainment where you can interact with the character and you can go on adventures and, um, so I, I do think our it's it's in our DNA that we are going to be a character studio. Um, we just yeah. we've that's we solidified our, ourselves as a top VR company, but I think we've also established ourselves as a top character <laughs> studio as well. And that, that's well, it's funny. We're not going to as stop you were anything. talk as you were talking. I sort of realized I was like, oh, I've made a massive presumption that you have <laughs> decided that you're a VR studio, right? You just made yeah. a couple of VR games. Is is th- is that something like, it's really interesting to hear this, you know, because you clearly are a character studio. And I think that that's a much better way to phrase it is, do you feel that like VR is tied to the the DNA and then the future of the studio, or is it more so the, you know, the, the medium that speaks to, to the messages that you're trying to, you get out there, whether it's, you know, these character driven messages. I, I mean, I, I think I think we're addicted. We're addicted to <laughs> we're addicted to the future. We're addicted to like we we want all the new headsets. We want all yeah, the new technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want we want to play with it because I think yeah. we we have this taste of like being pioneers in a very important shift in our industry. Mm. And I yeah. think we just we love that part of it. Um, I think VR. We're still doing it because. You know, we we have fun doing it. Our game is meant to be in VR. Um, at least the, the Moss games are meant to be in VR. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I think a lot of our opportunities we get approached by other companies and like, hey, can you make this demo for us? Can you make this game for us? Because yeah. of Moss, and so those opportunities haven't run dry. Um, yeah. But now it's you know, it's we're looking to. Different. And you know what? You never know. Like maybe someone at the exactly. studio might have an idea for a, you know, a, a flat screen game that we just were like, oh wow, that's really exciting for us. We could we could make a game outside of VR at some point. Um, but right now, that's kind of where all of our opportunities are are coming. I love that term, the flat screen game. That's I feel almost insulted that we're, make, we're oh, making flat. It's like a derogative term that you use for other, other game developers. <laughs> yeah, every time I say that, I'm like, okay, you gotta, there's got to be a better way to phrase that. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. Um, Josh, <laughs> interestingly, like in a similar line of questioning, you know, and like vindication's a hell of a drug and you were early believers in VR and that bet's obviously paid off both, you know, critically, commercially and the number and culturally, you know, you've you've literally come in and shifted the the medium. It's bet it's clearly better for um Moss Book One and Book Two being here. And so for yourself, design director there is another thing like <laughs> approaching very rapidly on the horizon. And some would say that mm-hmm. almost every nine or 10 year old is already in it. And that's the the metaverse, right? And there's big mm-hmm. conversations going on about the metaverse, but it's interesting talking about yourselves or, you know, thinking about Polyarch at least as an, as an outsider, so to speak to the studio, because your studio has built your reputation and you've spoken so much today about your importance of small you know, boutique experiences really, you know, that, that quality over quantity. So 
even just, you know, not speaking on behalf of the studio, but just yourself as a design director and the, the metaverse comes along, right? Like how does, how do you, is it, is it interesting? Do you, it's a pretty divisive thing for some folks, not even in an angry mm-hmm. sense, but just uh, don't not for it or believe in it completely. How, what does it mean for you when these headsets are plugging people into the metaverse, but they seem like such much more expansive experiences than what Polyarch has sort of, you know, aligned itself with and what you focused on for so long. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about the metaverse, we're not, I don't know if we're at a point yet where we even know exactly how that's, Mm. that is going to unfold and what is that, what is it going to be? Because we're still kind of discovering that. We don't really know, you know, is it going to be meta who, you know, gets the big metaverse thing? Is it going to be a combination of a bunch of different platforms, a bunch of different studios that form whatever the metaverse is? Is it something we haven't thought of yet? And this is just the first generation of what that's going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in general, the concept that the idea of all that connectivity and being able to be immersed in this giant virtual world that connects everybody around the world is extremely compelling. Mm. Um, it's an exciting idea. And I, I guess I'm not speaking for Polyar cause this is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't yeah. know. It's still an early concept for even us, but the idea that Polyar could be a part of it. I, I don't yeah. think, you know, you think the idea of the metaverse is this grand big thing, but even in the metaverse, you just imagine little islands of, cool things that people can plug into and want to be a part of. And I think that's an, a kind of an easy in for a lot of studios that might be like us where we're like, we'd love to be a part of it. And if it's a, an avenue for people to interact with mm. or take in content from, from sources they haven't before or sources that they just really love and they want to experience more of, that's kind of an avenue for us to provide content through that. Um, we don't really know yet how it's all going to form because it is kind of we're figuring it out as we go. And that's kind of, you know, how we were early adopters to virtual reality. There's a lot of people that are kind of early into the metaverse going all in. I don't think we're necessarily there yet mm-hmm. as a studio. But one thing that I've I've learned very well from Tam, our CEO, is like there's no like cutting it off like no we're not going to do it there's always yeah. like an open conversation like hey we can understand this concept more and and see if it can be valuable for polyarch but also maybe if we can bring value to people that mm-hmm. might be experiencing the metaverse and saying i really like stuff that polyarch makes i would love for them to be a part of this and then us understanding how we do that um it's kind of early for what that would look like yeah. of course but it's really cool to th- theorize and, and imagine what that could be because the metaverse is this it's almost like a dream right now like, <laughs> so this big imagination of what it could be yeah um, and there's lots of places that are putting it together and they're doing like a fantastic job of of trying to better understand how this concept could come together and i think that's mm-hmm. going to continue to evolve and get better as they better understand it and understand how mm-hmm. humans want to connect and communicate and and collaborate even over with the metaverse because it's not just games of course it's so it's such an interesting point as well that you mentioned about what what tam was saying in regards to you know having those conversations keeping yourself open to all the different possibilities it's so important in our industry and medium when things can you know you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden microsoft has bought activision for 70 billion dollars or they're you know the we is like you know changes the industry Like, mm-hmm. you know, and no yeah. one had really seen it coming or Val, you, you go to Valve one day and they've got, you know, their Cronenberg VR set up and you, you have a vision of building a studio around that. It's, it, it really is important. 
speaking about building a studio, you you're also scaling, you know, at the at the moment, or you've scaled at least you know a certain degree, and it's 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 never easy, you know. Is scaling mm-hmm. is it comes with its own with its own challenges and growing pains. Um, it's almost a, a skill in and of itself, right? Uh, what's what have you seen? Even if it's not, you know, it sounds like you're a lot. Your studio is definitely a lot all hands on deck in many different ways, and you know, you're not, you're. I know at that size, it's like people wearing a lot of different hats. But how are you? How are you going about scaling the studio? What have been sort of your some of your guiding lights or your big wins or particular challenges? Because going from a team of fifteen to thirty five, even though it doesn't seem seem like much we all know that that culturally that can be a big shift or organizationally that can be a big shift as well chris yeah yeah well that's um we have found like we we have our own ambitions and and we would like to scale the team um sometimes quicker than we're able to um (laughs) we're, we're finding that that we we have a limit to that um and and we've had to sort of scale back our ambitions there a little bit because Mm -hmm. You know, finding really good people takes time, you know, and, and, and we don't yeah. want to rush it. And we we find that, you know, the reason why I like, I mean, yeah, I'll speak for my, well, the reason I like coming here is because I, I love everybody I work with. And it, I think if you try to speed that process up and hire too many people too quick, you might, that might not be the case. You might just find that you're you're working with a bunch of strangers, you know, and so yeah. we do we do take our, our time. And when, when people you know, when developers come on board at Polyarch, you know, we, we try to take the time and, and now it's a lot of it's virtual, but we do like virtual lunches and, and, and hang out with them. But, um, are you working fully uh, virtually at the moment, the, t- the team, or do you have a space? Um, a, a lot, a, a lot of the team is, um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're about 35, I would say five to 10 people still go into the studio, but not even full time. Yeah. I'm usually, I'm usually three days at home, two days at the office. Um, mm-hmm. I need, I need the, you know, a little bit. Of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. The cabin, the cabin fever strikes strikes some of us for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely one prone to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, like it's in some 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 of our uh, employees' stories are just their lives are just improved by it. So it's I'd say even yeah. COVID for for some has has been a blessing. They're like, oh wow, like you know, we've we've been forced in a way to learn how to work, and we developed half of Moss 2 virtually, maybe even more of it. More um, than half. More than half. And we did it, you know, and, and we mm-hmm. somewhat successfully. And you hear of others, you know, tech companies being like, all right, time to come back to work. And they're, all, they're, they're flirting with the idea of forcing everyone back. And they get this pushback. And then, you know, it takes a little bit. And they're like, oh, you know what? We'll wait a six more months and see how everything shakes up. But we've heard we've heard everyone. And, 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 and I don't think there's a future for Polyarch that, where we force anybody to come back, it's working. And, and, you know, there are, there are things that are more difficult, but at the same time, it's yeah. way of life has been improved for some. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if you even think the, the very first thing that comes to mind is like, um, commuting, <laughs> like no yeah. one has to like, get in their car in the morning and like, you know, t- tiresomely like drive to the office sometimes in, in kind of bad traffic. Yeah. Um, 
It's yeah, interesting. Right. We po- we polled our studio. We have done through the pandemic. We've been working mm-hmm. from home since end of March 2020. And when we polled the team in regards to like, what are your concerns about coming back into the studio? And we had like 15 different reasons and we drew it in. So like commuting, we had like four different things, like length of commute, difficulty of commute, or blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Commu- all of them, all four were like just at the top. It was yeah. by <laughs> a long margin. It's very, very interesting how much like people appreciate having that whether it be the time or the difficulty mm-hmm. getting in or whatever it might be. Uh, and some people have even e- expressed to us, you know, like, and it, it makes sense. Like this is the stuff that's important. If I have to go into work, it's 45 minutes there and back. That's an hour and a half. I don't get to spend with my kid who's five years exactly. old. And it's a mm-hmm. really important you know, time to be with them in their life. And how, how can you argue with that? Well, you're like, well, excuse you. We have a computer cartoon to make. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get it. You totally, you yeah. totally get it. No. Um, yeah, if, if we found that just Moss 2 took an extra year to develop, you know, like if we had yeah. data that suggested. Um, yeah, I but, think it's different you know, at different points in development as well, right? Yeah, yeah. and we're still learning. Um, we're deciding mm-hmm. to, like, we have we have Discord running all the time. Um, I mm-hmm. think there's going to be, like, just even for the art team, more effort to just be there for each other because we did just yeah. hire, man, we, we just hired three new artists and each of them, are starting within a month of each other. And, you know, I, I just, I just think being available to them is just really important. And so I think, yeah. you know, and that's, that's a brand new thing. We just are starting and it seems so uh-huh. simple and like obvious now, but we're still, yeah. we're still learning how to, how to adapt. And um, yeah, it, all these things, you know, back to recruiting, it just, it all just takes time and care and yeah, you know, just what doing our best and wanting to make really good games. Like how, how do we best serve that? You know, and I think yeah. happy employees is, is probably the top thing. It's like, we want to make sure that it's a good one. It is yeah, a good one. I mean, yeah. we spend, yeah. what, eight hours a day, five days a week for most studios mm-hmm. with, with these people. Uh, it's it's really important to surround yourself with, with people. You know, yeah. I, I strongly believe you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. And when yeah, I yeah. think that two of those five are my business partners, a bunch of the time, I'm like, oh, thank God I chose wisely there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, you know, we're trying to make... I love our industry because we're making fun. Like we're trying to make yeah, fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is so important that that we're having fun doing it. Because I mm-hmm. do think every game I've worked on, if if the team is having fun, it's going to be a good experience. If they're not, then it's not going to be. And I I, I think that is a really simple way of, you know, yeah, sort of organizing our priorities. So yeah. And so, Josh, what is it? What is this? What does the scaling mean for you, sort of in a in a more practical sense? You know, thinking about the the next games that you you know that you may have on the on the stove at the mm-hmm. moment, and you know your capabilities as a studio in regards to you know creating content or expanding your your experiences. What's what's mm-hmm. been sort of one of the the, ma- the major motivating things for you with the with the scaling of the studio and and the success that Polyarch's been having in this regard? Yeah, well, in you know, the scaling, the change from Moss book one to two has been, you know, we've, we've got some more resources. We have more people that can help us create these experiences that we thought of. And when we talk about the studio growing, we're at 35, but only a portion of that is on, you know, the Moss team. We have more than one project. So now it's becoming getting an understanding of like, okay, we, we have personnel that are going to be split between multiple projects at the studio. And we're at that point going to be learning similar things across different projects and how can we share that information back and forth and ensure that we're 
you know, not needing to completely do all of these brand new things, which like all of <laughs> VR for the last bit is just like, I don't know how to do this. We have to figure out how to do this uh, just yeah. like over and over and over again, beaten to our heads that we, we just need to relearn so much when we're developing a lot of these games. Um, a lot of those learnings can really be shared between the teams. So trying to ensure that you have that that open communication between designers that are working on Moss and designers that are working on another thing to make sure that um, as we're running into those challenges, we can try and optimize that a little bit. In terms of how that affects me thinking about a Moss project, I know that the company is going to be larger, but we also, it's a, it's a balancing act knowing that while the CEO is getting larger, does that going to wind up being additional projects or is that going to be that we just want to keep pushing scale and getting bigger? Uh, it's one of those things that we want to be really mindful of because you, you want to ensure that you still feel like the company is, as Chris said, you, you know everybody, you, mm. you understand the people on your team, you don't want to get it too big and it's trying to balance that out. Um, and so far with our teams not getting too huge above you know, the first Moss game where we're trying to take it slow. Yeah. We're trying to ensure that that scale makes sense, but also knowing that it gives us advantages when we're talking about the the quality of the game or like the length of the experiences of the game. So trying to be very careful and very specific about how we're going to use um, those those talented people to help us make the game is kind of kind of the approach was it just basically ends up just being like we all do a bunch of planning with a project manager <laughs> uh that's how you sum that down but yeah. um make, making sure it makes sense because we we don't want to the the danger of it is saying oh we've got more people we're gonna scale up let's make something super big um, yeah. we have to be very careful about our design intention but also what we're doing from an artistic writing like every discipline like what is going to be feasible to make sure that it's sustainable for us as a studio? Because it's not just about bringing new people into the studio. It's about ensuring that everybody at the studio has a really good quality of life. And we're, we're ensuring that we're not pushing things too far uh, for the goal of just making more and bigger games. We, we yeah. really care about everybody that's at the studio. So it's, it's this balancing act to try and find out what that right compromise is. Well, it's very clear. I think I can speak very confidently saying that I think the press, the public, your peers all can see and understand how much Polyarch is, you know, of a very focused studio in its in its objectives and very, I would say almost purposeful, you know, like your your games are they're they're focused and and then also they're executed really well you know you can be focused but not not deliver on that thing um and it seems very much like even just talking to you now that that's extended to the to the studio as well it, it's just it's so incredible what you've achieved with both moss book one and two critically culturally commercially and then to see the success of the studio continuing it's really 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 been exciting to watch I want to, I think we'll wrap it up there. I just want to, I want to thank you guys so much for the chat today. I mean, but let's, let's give it a plug. What I mean, and now correct me, you, Josh, I'm going to throw to you, you can correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> yeah. here, right? But Moss 2 is already out on PSVR. Is that correct? Or That is correct. All right. And Quest 2 is coming on? July 21st. July so 21st. Three days from when we're currently recording this. All right. So we're hearing this, it'll probably be out. <laughs> Exactly. Well, listeners, uh, you just heard it. Uh, Moss 2 is going to be out on Quest 
2 and PSVR, or Moss Book 2, I should say, uh, got to stay in canon. And I'm, I know tonight I'm going to go and hang out with my buddy Quill. So, Josh, Chris, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and all the best for your Quest 2 launch. Really excited to see how it goes. Thanks, Trent. Well, thanks, Trent. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.